Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and the shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting professions. I'm here in the tap room with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hey, John. This is going to be a pretty fun episode today. Yes, yes. So who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is the creative director at Bottle Logic Brewing in Anaheim, California. Side note, she's our first return guest on the Beer Hour. She's here today to talk about the brewery's number one rated pumpkin beer, Picture If You Will. It currently holds the number one spot on the pumpkin beer list on Beer Advocate. We're about to find out why. Welcome back to the Beer Hour, Lindsay Langton. Hey, thank you. Always <laughs> oh, a pleasure. It's, uh, it's good to have you back on. You are our first repeat customer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cool. I'll gladly wear that banner. Can you give us a description of the picture it if you will what is it what Definitely. does it taste like can you kind of break it down for us sure yeah so picture if you will is um our barrel-aged pumpkin offering this is basically a strong ale with a hearty dose of the animal um we're really intent on building this like high crest base malt character so <clears throat> In addition to all of our regular house malts, we're using a specialty dosing of uh, Vienna, of Brace Victory, and uh, the Gambrinus Honey Malt. So we're playing for these tones of like nutty toastiness, um, looking for that like baked good pie crust to really kind of hold everything together here. Um, and then, of course, we're using just an outrageous amount of pumpkin puree <laughs> in the boil itself. Yep. It gets heartily spiced. Um, hot side so we're doing cinnamon clove allspice ginger um then as it's fermenting that shakes out a little bit so post barrel we usually give this eight or nine months in barrels the strong ales i feel like past eight or nine months we're getting too much oak and it just takes over the whole character of something that's a little bit more delicate than a stout so eight or nine months in barrels um like in the last couple of months, we'll start dosing it with vanilla beans. Typically, we use Madagascar beans to sell that, like, baked good vanilla tone right. versus, right. I don't know, like a... a Tahitian or... Tahitian, yeah. super floral, like, right. sweet dessert flan kind of thing. Um, but we'll start dosing the barrels with beans and let them sit there and marinate and nice. just make like make it magical, <laughs> which is what we really of rely course. on. Yes. Uh, and then... Post barrel, once we've got it in a bright, we're treating it again with all of those same spice ones. We don't do any more pumpkin because um, that's kind of a strange. I, I want the pumpkinness, and we sell it with the spices, but I don't want that squashy kind yeah. of yeah, yeah. No, no rotting vegetable <laughs> thing. No, Def- definitely not after that. Um, and then so we'll do the the post barrel spicing with those same set of all spice ginger clove. Um, nutmeg, cinnamon, nice. and then uh, off to the races. Nice. The, the name itself, it's kind of wrapped in this um, Twilight Zone vibe, trying to trying to place you into these these kind of retro stories, which really aligns well with our brand. So it's something that we release, gosh, really intermittently. We haven't released it since. 2020 really? um but we are about to put it in barrels um we'll probably brew it in february for next next year uh, yeah. october's nice. release so nice. it'll be the first in a while but nice. it's exciting that people are into it it's definitely not your average pumpkin beer i think the barrel aging and the pie crust malt decisions um are are something that set it apart from just like the big PSL in your face stuff. There's a little bit more depth to it with the with the barrel aging. Actually, I think I appreciate that a little more. Even with Gordita, basically, I almost prefer that strong ale style 
pumpkin ale versus a shipyard pumpkin beer or like sure. a dogfish head pumpkin. I mean, because to me, yeah. it's more supposed to be like a dessert and enjoy it yeah. as a dessert instead of just yeah. throwing a pint back of pumpkin ale. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, I, I think it's helpful to have the... Uh, the vanilla that sells kind of the whipped cream that people add on a pumpkin pie. Again, I'm beating this uh, point, but the, the pie crust malt build is so critical to balancing out all of that pumpkin squashy spicy stuff that is hit or miss for people. So like, how can we bookend it with nuance? Right. And then you add the barrel age aspect, which kind of rounds the whole thing out to me. Cause totally. when we used totally. to brew ours, the barrel age version version was always more well received than the the non. Yeah, than the non yeah. version, absolutely. Yeah. So I, I mean, you guys actually have been brewing it, obviously, up until about twenty twenty. Um, what's kind of the backstory of the beer? Like, who created it? Was this a Wes's baby, or like, who, you know, <laughs> where where did this all kind of come from? Yeah. Um. So Wes had, Wes has been brewing in his garage, like we've talked about before, for. Um, long enough to need a return on his investment, which is why he opened the brewery. So <laughs> right, he yes. played. <laughs> yeah. So he he played with the pumpkin beers before. Um, I one of my favorite pumpkin beers is Rumkin from Avery. And so when we were trying to kind of triangulate and build what Spotologic pumpkin presence going right. to be, that's something that I kind of pointed out as a north star. That that um, seventeen or eighteen percent uh, pumpkin ale. <laughs> <laughs> Casual, casual. <laughs> um, so, yeah, trying trying to reach toward that and trying to make it true to us. I think we, this is really kind of where one of these pastry barrel-aged liquids kind of came from. This is one of our original dessert beers. So how much, like, how much of this do you guys normally brew, would you say? Oh, gosh. Um, well... We were brewing this on our 15-barrel system. We haven't yet. Um, we recently, in, in 2020, actually, upgraded to a 30-barrel right. uh, steam system from our 15 direct fire. So morphing all of those recipes and upgrading those um, has been a, a fun couple of years. Oh, I you bet. think you could just double your math. No. That is not, no. That is not true. That is not how it works. <laughs> so, so retweaking that, making sure all of our recipes stay brand true. Um, but, but so when we're brewing picture, if you will, it would be a 15 barrel batch at a time. We'd throw it into barrels. We'd get our, um, expected evaporation. Um, and you'd have, I don't know, two or three barrels that didn't quite make the cut. So they don't get added to the blend. So we'd probably be releasing probably 10 or 11 BBLs. Uh, I'm sorry. No, um, what's that math? We probably end up with about ten usable casts, okay. um, and then we split things out to to draft, split things out for uh, packaging runs or any like flow variants. So, two to three thousand bottles. Yeah, yeah, uh, at least thirty two hundred. Oh, yeah, okay, so a, a decent amount, but I mean, it's still a chase for people that really love pumpkin and barrel aged pumpkin beers. So it'd still be yeah, a chase beer. Yeah, well, I mean. We try to be judicious about knowing that it is a niche product, that not everybody's out here hunting pumpkins, um, and, and try to make sure that the liquid's got a home, that it doesn't just Sit hang around. out with us exactly. until, until like February and we're pouring pumpkin beers on Valentine's Day. So, <laughs> no, we wouldn't. <laughs> oh, boy. A little, a little smaller approach than like a normal South that we'd, we'd pursue and push into, right, into and the not, world. And you're not releasing it in July. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I think kind of last question for you, how can people find this? I mean, is it, I mean, tap room only, obviously not. I mean, is this like, can you only secure the bottles in the tap room or is there another way for people to find these bottles? So because we haven't released it since 2020, I would be pretty surprised if anyone got it on shelves anywhere. Um, but we... Uh, like I mentioned before, we'll start brewing next year right. in late February, early March. And then so come next October, it'll be released in the tasting room. And we've increased our, um, we're self-distributed throughout all of California and we're eking into parts of Arizona now. Ooh, so okay. this is definitely something that we 
would, given our 30 barrel system, we're scaling up just in, in terms of how much we have to start with. So it's rather that we've got an expanded distribution footprint, especially with seasonals, um, that we can spread them out and get them to, to people where they're thirsty for them. So I'm guessing since you guys are now on a 30-barrel system, instead of the 3,200 bottles, we should be looking at around 6,400, do you think? Yep, yep. So still, I mean, still a hard to come by, but a little bit more readily available. But still, you guys out there definitely come next year, next Halloween time, that you will definitely have to look in your local shops in California or even parts of Arizona for these bottles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've started uh, partnering with Tavor. I've seen you guys yes. have some a couple oh, things. Oh, wait, recently. are you are you going to drop it on Tavor? Say again. Are you going to drop it on Tavor? I well, not this year, but next uh, year. Right. Very well, I mean, when next year hits, you you will drop it on Tavor. Yeah. So I'm yeah. going to have to join the membership <laughs> for the of Tavor beer. just for this pumpkin <laughs> beer. And I know my brother, which listens to this show every week, right. is going to call me and ask me and say. Can you make sure to ask your friends at Bottle Logic to hold a bottle for, a bottle, for me? Yep. Cool. Yep. So, <laughs> if people out there don't know what what is Tavor actually, so we can get them a kind of scope so people can understand and find these things. Sure. Yeah. Uh, Tavor has been a great partner for us in terms of um, getting things to people in a more direct way. Um, the the beer trade scene was so fun and so fascinating, but we I would start getting. Um, reports from people who would who got like um, a bottle that was full of like I don't know dish soap. It was clear like pink liquid, and they're like, "This you call this your ground state imperial coffee stout?" And I'm like, "Well, clearly not. Clearly, it's been wow. tampered with. You didn't get it from me, so right. I don't know. How, I don't know how to guarantee you this. So working with a partner like Tavor who can put things legally in places that we're not." Um, ready to pay a $50,000 entry fee into right. like right. Illinois or Minnesota or whatever um, has, has been really cool. And it's been a really, I think um, it, it feels like a good way to guarantee people the product that they are excited about yes. and not taking risk with aftermarket right. stuff. Exactly. No, we use them as well. And I think they're a great partner. So everybody out there listening, if you want to get your hands on this come next October, you better be checking Tavor. Right, it's an app. Yes. You join. It's a yes. it's a membership. Yes. And you can join and you buy different beers depending right. on on what's released from breweries all across the country, which is kind of cool because yes. you wouldn't normally have access right. to these things. Right. I mean, things. right, if you live in Florida and you want a beer from California, it's going to be the easiest way to get your hands on it, and especially the highest rated pumpkin beer out there. So. And this is just just a little free buzz for them. They're not a paid sponsor in any way. No, not at all. <laughs> no, not at all. but I will, I will mention <laughs> Lindsay this. Lindsay didn't found Tavor, did she? No, I will, no, I no. will mention to Megan that you and I and John yes. mentioned this. So, Absolutely. you know. So they can listen yeah. up, so. He's not shocked. <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. My and, pleasure. Uh, it is Absolutely. good to see you again. Hopefully, we'll see you guys for Wakefest. Yes, we miss yes. you guys. Yes. Likewise, man. I got to get out on that country that side of the country more often right absolutely trying to get some collabs in this year hunkering down for the holidays and then come february march it's beer season again so I have every intention to be out in florida with y'all well thank ha- you so we'll much, have a good Lindsay. halloween and uh thank you again you too. all right you're listening to the beer hour with jonathan wakefield conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture Our next guest is the writer and director of the surprise runaway hit movie of the season, Terrifier 2. The low-budget indie horror film has grossed over $5 million in its first three weeks in limited release. It has remained in the top 10 grossing films in the U.S. during that time. Art the Clown, created by our next guest, has become the hot horror character of the season, 11 years after audiences were first introduced to him. Welcome to the Bear Hour. Damian Leone, thank you very much for joining us today. It's a Thanks pleasure to have you me. on. It's uh, <laughs> this has been uh, quite a month for you, I'd have to say. <laughs> pretty, pretty wild, man. Pretty surreal. Uh, I can't say I've ever experienced anything like this before. So, no, I, I, I don't know if a lot of people have. <laughs> so, so I actually read that you grew up in Staten Island. Is that where you uh, met Jason and Michael Levy from Fuzz on the Lens Productions? 
It is. <clears throat> they also live on Staten Island, and uh, we met through a mutual filmmaker friend of ours who's my now producing partner, Phil Falcone, because we both worked on uh, one of his films. And then um, I had no idea that they were involved with the Staten Island clown. Ah. Uh, so that was a very strange coincidence that we wound up uh, hooking up and working together <laughs> uh, after the fact. Yeah, it's pretty funny. I think it's been a year to date since uh, we actually had both of them on the show for last Halloween. So it's actually pretty awesome that we're following it up this year with you. So, I mean, I I guess any kid that was named after a character in a horror movie has to go on to be a horror film writer and director. Like, who who were you named after and what influence did your mom have on your career choice? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, I'm starting to... uh... I'm starting to believe in fate and destiny uh, as I as I get older. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, my mother did name me after the Antichrist in the Omen. Yes. Uh, because she, was just, <laughs> she was obsessed with that name for some reason. Um, there's a there's a scene in particular in that movie where um, one of the uh, the little boy's nanny uh, is calling his name at a birthday party uh, before she hangs herself in front of all the children at the party. Right. And there was just something about the way she was calling that name that my mother loved the name. Uh, I, I don't know how these things happen. <laughs> but uh, and my also my she my mother also happened to be a huge movie fan, not just horror movies, but loved all different kinds of action movies and fantasy movies, like really cool movies. And she would let me watch them with her at a very young age. I mean, if she was just watching a horror movie by herself and, you know, and I would come into the room and sit next to her and she'd see me watching it, even if it was scary. And she would say, you know, you never got scared. You were just sort of glued to the TV and you were fascinated. Even if it was a scary movie, you loved monsters. And I would let you watch them because <laughs> you weren't freaking out. And uh, And then it was just maybe I'd say by the time I was seven, I stumbled upon this VHS tape called Screen Greats, okay. and it's an hour-long documentary about special makeup effects artist Tom Savini. Ooh. And uh, he's responsible for he, – he did the first Jason from Friday the 13th makeup and movies like Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, Creepshow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, and uh, so it was the first time I saw – a makeup artist responsible for creating monsters. And that was sort of a big light bulb moment. And I was already, I was already an artist growing up. I was, uh, I was always making cartoons and sketching doodles and things like that. So it really clicked. And then I sort of, my trajectory changed and I was really fascinated with makeup effects. Oh, wow. So what, I mean, like, what would you say, like which movies, directors kind of influenced you as you were learning your craft oh wow uh tons of them tons of them i would say when i really started getting serious about filmmaking um martin scorsese who's still one of my greatest heroes he was he was the first director where i noticed an identifiable style where you can tell he was directing the movie even if you didn't know he was directing it just by signature camera moves he uses and tones and you know freeze frames and swish pans and all these kind of wild things where i said "Ooh, you know the director could really put his stamp on a movie if he wants to if you watch a martin scorsese movie he's virtually the star of all his movies just through his camera techniques right there's different genres i'm influenced by so many horror filmmakers like uh Romero, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, you know, David Lynch, David Cronenberg, they're all there. Um, I mean, has that influenced you to create your own style within film? Um, you know, I, I, I would say I do have a style that's developing sort of organically, but I don't go I don't go out of my way to say this is this is my style. I must do this. Like I, yeah. I like taking techniques that work from many different filmmakers that I admire. Um, but I think trying to think if, if I had a style, I, I guess I'm more in the vein of sort of old school, George Romero and oh, maybe, nice. maybe John Carpenter, but like just very sort of locked off kind of nice, trying to have like nice composition shots. I don't really like shaky cam. I don't <laughs> right. like too many, too many moving shots. Um, right. so my style is pretty old school. Uh, yeah, but both those guys are amazing. I mean, both oh all God. their films are amazing. So yeah, uh, if I was going to say you were going to take something, uh, that'd be those two guys would be great cues to take from. Right, you could do a lot worse. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, according to IMDb, 
The first film that you wrote and directed was a 2008 short, short called The Ninth Circle. For the first time, you were in charge of bringing to the screen something that you wrote, but that other people had invested it. What did you learn about making movies from The Ninth Circle in those early projects? Yeah, well, Ninth Circle was the most um, pivotal movie or anything I did in my entire career at this point. That was the first uh, short film that I made that introduced Art the Clown. And that was going to be... That was intended to be my first official short film because up until that point, I was just making home movies with my friends with camcorders and then mini DV, things like that. But this was this was at the point where I was out of high school. I wasn't in film school. I wasn't really doing anything uh, with my life, but I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. So since I didn't go to film school because I didn't have money to do it, I convinced my mother to give me money enough money like maxing out credit cards to um <laughs> right. to make my first short film on film that was going to be the first professional piece that i could submit to film festivals and hope that somebody saw it liked it and could maybe you know open some doors so jumping from making homemade movies with my friends on camcorders to going in right into a 35 millimeter, millimeter. movie right which was wild which with another director of photography for the first time that was a very interesting experience uh especially because film is so expensive that we could only shoot maybe four we could only do four takes per shot and i had to keep my shots very limited so i had to be very disciplined with the way we shot that that short wow um but but yeah it was the idea was let me just throw i'm sorry could we curse on this absolutely yeah you're fine yeah I was going to say, you know, the, the idea was let me just throw as much shit at the wall with this short film, with my makeup effects, with monsters and make this a really kind of visceral in your face experience. And hopefully something sticks and, you know, somebody will will start talking about it. So it was it was let's put this creepy idea I had with a killer clown in there. I love demons. Uh, there's like witches and all kinds of satanic cults and the devil shows up at the end. So I was throwing everything in there and it turned out that. Everybody who saw that short film said, yeah, makeup's cool, the demons, whatever. But Art the Clown, that clown at the beginning is one of the most craziest looking clowns I've ever seen. He's so creepy. You have to make more things with that character. I got that note across the board. Nice. So, so yeah, I mean, I, you listen to the – you get the consensus. And if enough people are saying something, you should probably take it seriously. Absolutely. And I did uh, – yeah, and I did uh, make another short film with him years later, and it just started. It was all stepping stones, it, and every time I made something new with Art the Clown, his popularity grew a little more, and there was a little more excitement for the character. Nice. So, I mean, I know that the Terrifier franchise started with like a twenty-minute short in two thousand eleven called Terrifier. So, yeah. in but in two thousand sixteen, Terrifier was released as a full-length film, and it garnered some buzz, especially among fans of the hor- like the horror genre. When did you decide that you were going to make a sequel to Terrifier? Uh, I mean, I, I, I was pretty sure I knew I was going to make more movies with this character while I was shooting Terrifier 1. Uh, because originally in the script, I didn't have that moment where he, he's resurrected in the, in the morgue right. at the end of the film. And I knew when we were shooting it that I wanted to bring him back. And I said, I don't want the audience left wondering if he's going to come back or, or or assuming that this is it for the character. So I told the crew, I said, we need to have this kind of cliffhanger moment where he sits up in the morgue and now he's supernatural. Right, here he comes. Uh, yeah, yeah, and he'll, he'll be back and there will be more. Uh, there will be blood. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so because the character is he's so much fun and there's so many uh, there's so many situations and scenarios that I still want to put him in that I haven't yet. So um there's, a, there's definitely a little more to explore with him before I think my creative well runs dry with that character. So just kind of running through like some, some horror characters, like Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, I guess are the best known horror film yeah. characters. I mean, I'm sure you could throw a few other ones that have come as of late. But Art the Clown has to be considered the hottest this season. I mean, how did you come up with the character, Art the Clown, all those years ago, and why did you think that he has resonated with the audience so much? Um, so, for it, it's funny because typically, especially when I was younger and I would make short films, I would really start with a character with a visual 
uh, that I would sketch out and say, Ooh, you know, th- this guy looks cool. Let's, let's form a story around him, figure out a way to get this character into a movie. And that's always the way it is. I usually just visuals come to me first or like a little idea, but it's typically a visual, but with Arthur clown, it was an idea. I didn't know what he was going to look like, what his personality was going to be. I just had this idea of a woman alone in the middle of the, in the middle of the night on a city bus coming home from wherever. And all of a sudden the bus comes to a stop and a clown gets on and sits across from her and just starts toying with her and you know, staring at her and honking his horn at her. It's really <laughs> creepy where it's, you know, it starts kind of awkward and funny, but it starts getting more and more sadistic and aggressive until he's sitting next to her and trying to stick her with a needle. Um, it's just one of many horror ideas I had floating around in my head that I said, Ooh, maybe that will be cool to put in something someday. And then when it came time to do that short film, the ninth circle, I said, you know, I'll kick off the short with this. And then it was about what does this clown look like? Well, how is he going to be different from all the other killer clowns? And at the time, Tim Curry's Pennywise was and still is the, the king of the killer clowns. So I said he can't look anything like Pennywise. He can't act anything like Pennywise. So that really helped in designing him and not making him colorful, not giving him hair, not making him speak. And um, – and, I'm sorry. So, so no draws from the killer clowns from outer space. Then I was just gonna ask him <laughs> if he ever liked. Wait a second. Killer... Uh, wait a second. Come on, bro. No, no, no. That was like no, no, my no. thing. No, wait, no. What? You hate clowns. No, no, no. That, you because hate of that movie. I, I That's mean, one of my favorite that, horror movies. Right. There you go. That is one of my favorite from a childhood. That is one of my favorite movies. And it's with so the cotton cheesy. candy. It's yep. amazing. Been watching that since um you know another one I've been watching since I'm seven years old. They they whatever. shoot popcorn at you. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. the uh, the balloon animal dog. That's yeah. why I hate clowns. <laughs> but that movie was so yeah. like growing up. It was that yeah. and Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I mean, so, so you um, kind of drew from different inspirations to oh come ab- up with this absolutely. Character. Absolutely. Little pieces of inspiration from all these other things that I loved. Even there's a there's a Twilight Zone episode, an original Twilight Zone episode called uh, Five Characters in Search of an Exit. And there's a clown in that episode. And if you look at the clown, you can see some little um, some little details I took from that clown to form uh, to form art. Um, And but yeah, so he it wasn't it wasn't necessarily sort of instant lightning in a bottle. I mean, I guess you could say it was, but that's not the way I looked at it. At the time, it was just I thought art looked really cool and he was going to be a a nice way to start off this short film. But at the time, I didn't think it would lead to this. It wasn't until I made that second short film with Art the Clown, Terrifier, where I turned him into a slasher. And then I really started tweaking and developing his sixth sense of humor that Uh, I said, you know, this guy's really cool and I'd like to make more. I think we have something here. What what do you like? What do you think it is about like? I, I have no problem with them like that. That doesn't bother me. But there is definitely a large sect of the population that is just freaked out by clowns. I, Maria yeah. included. But like, I just don't know what it is about like cla- I They don't bother me like that. Like Killer Clowns from Outer Space, one of my favorite movies. Like okay, but as it, a, it, it I'm never bothered me as a kid. No, it never bothered me. Like even I watched it growing up. But like there are people that will not watch these movies or go into no, like watch uh, them. circuses or like even when you go to Halloween Horror Nights, like anything with clowns, like people run yeah. away like scared to death. But I heard that they don't even scare you as bad in Halloween Yeah, but Horror what I'm saying is what is it about clowns? I don't know. They're creepy. That scares the crap out of people. Also, yeah. the, the serial killer, right? The serial killer, oh, the, uh, Gacy. Gacy. Yeah. yeah. He used to dress up as a fucking clown. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that... I don't think being scared of clowns is an irrational fear. I, I, I totally get it. I think right. clowns look terrifying. They, they, don't, they don't scare me, but a killer clown or a clown doing something creepy is, is instantly terrifying. I, I, but I think a huge part of it is because, you know, I, I get that question all the time now. Right, right. I, I've created a scary, scary clown. I think, I think a big part of it for me anyway is the white face paint. Yes. I think yeah. I think that works its way into our psyche and there's something synonymous uh with a white face to death, you know? Yes. You take away the red pigment and that's gone. It's like, "Oh, all right, that's we shouldn't look like that." And uh, <laughs> right. and and you don't know even if your best friend is dressed up as a clown. It's like their identity their identity's immediately gone. You can't yep. even tell your best friend is behind that makeup. And just the way that they're 
constantly happy and their movements are very abnormal and uh, bizarre and otherworldly. They're almost yep. like we, we look at them as if they're an alien. I yes. mean, nothing yep. about them makes sense on Earth. <laughs> and if you just put that, if you put a knife into that thing's hand, I mean, that's it. That's nightmare fuel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. I Yeah, I can see that for sure. So you go on and release the film. And obviously, you started to see the tweets about people passing out and vomiting in the theaters. Explain to our listeners how people's reaction to Terrifier 2 went viral and it generated an avalanche of see it if you dare buzz. Yeah, right. That's pretty shocking. Even though when we were making the movie, we knew we were purposely pushing the boundaries of gore and we wanted to step slightly over the line. And I would even tell my cast and crew, you know, people are definitely going to walk out of this movie. Some people it's going to be too much for. Um, but to the degree that it happened now and it going viral because people are actually fainting and throwing up is so surreal to me that it actually happened. Um, I, I was seeing uh, the night it kind of blew up or the first time I saw the story, I was uh, at a screening of terrifier in uh in manhattan with my producer uh george who's also okay. our cameraman right and as soon as we got out of the screening we got into a lift uh home and i, I see on my phone somebody that i knew that i actually met at a horror convention texted me and said dude i was just in a screening of terrifier too and some guy passed out and, and cracked his head uh on uh, on the back of a chair or something like that. and i was Holy like wow crap. and then yeah and then i'm starting to hear like that story and then someone someone tweeted a, a picture of someone actually was like, I legit just got out of the screening of Terrifier and somebody threw up and they had a picture of the puke like in the movie theater. Oh, my gosh. Um, like, oh, my God, is this really happening? And then before you know it, like three days later, they're talking about it on morning talk shows and Howard Stern's talking about it. And, <clears throat> uh, and people think it's a they think it's fake. They think it's a marketing ploy that you know, my distributor right. and us have have started and i wish we did because it is genius but i can assure you it's it's real we we have nothing to do with this so the film was released in a limited run across america earlier this month i mean you made it in total budget for like two hundred fifty thousand. halloween ends by comparison cost 33 million to make which to me i just saw it it was like eh. according to the box office mojo to date the film has grown 6.3 million i mean what does that kind of roi mean for raising money for future projects for you and fuzz on the lens oh my god um i well it's certainly going to be a lot easier to make terrified <laughs> yeah, i was gonna say <laughs> yeah um listen man it has been wild i i've been getting contacted by some really interesting people and some big uh some big production companies and i think what like i said what we did is really unprecedented because there was oh god what we, no but i mean but would that take away from you guys? Because you guys did it unrated, and you did your own style, right? And you had this level of gore to it, and you reached this success. If all of a sudden you jump to Hollywood, like you said, are they going to start censoring all that out? And is it going to change the film? Um, it could, but uh, in terms of... Because the last thing you want is now all these big wigs and these chefs right. in the kitchen saying you have to water this down, you can't do that, this has to, you have to check this box here and that. I mean, that is the last thing that I would ever do with, uh, with Terrifier. And, and believe me, I wouldn't, um, I would turn down an insane amount of money just, uh, just for the integrity of Terrifier. I've been with this franchise and this character since 2005. And listen, I'm, I'm 40 years old uh, I'm, I, and I have no problem just making these little movies. My whole life has been making these little homemade movies. Even even Terrifier 2 is still a group of nine people. I mean, at the core, That's we had like, like a solid crew of nine people making this entire movie over the course of three years. That's awesome. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's about the movie. It's about just the legacy of what this is, is the most important thing to me. Um, certainly with, with other movies that if, if like Hollywood studios came to me and they wanted to make movies, I would certainly play by their rules and make deliver our ratings and things like that. But Terrifier is, is its own unique thing. It's, it's proven now that if you stick to your guns with this right. and, and you stand by your artistic integrity, I knew that if this movie was ever cut, it would not work. Right. I mean, and that was, a, that was a discussion we had with, uh, 
it was a big discussion that we had with the distributor with uh, Cinedyne and uh, because they were saying, you know, we want to put it in theaters and movies just do not go unrated in theaters. It's, it's exceptionally rare and we're going to have to submit it to the MPA. And I was like, I pleaded with them. I said, listen, I'm telling you, I trust me, please trust me. If you cut the gore out of this movie, it is not going to work. And they, they were gracious enough to agree to that, which is so rare. It's That's so amazing. freaking rare. Okay. And they, they took the chance, you know, a lot of people would never take that chance. Um, no. and it, I'm so glad it paid off for them. Um, but yeah, going forward with Terrifier, it has to remain true to what the franchise is. So last week, the the kind of king of horror tweeted Terrifier two grossing you out old school. Oh my god! Yeah. What was the reaction when you saw that one of the biggest names in horror endorsed your movie? Stephen King, it, for the Stephen, listeners, yes. in case yes, they don't yeah, know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. To me, he is the king. Dude. Dude, it still hasn't sunk in. It really still hasn't sunk. It's because uh, I am I am just the ultimate fanboy. Still, I'm just right. a fan of horror movies. And Stephen King is literally more so. I'm sorry to say, more so as a filmmaker, like his movies, his right. books that are um, you know made into films. Because I obviously watch a lot more movies than I read <laughs> books. I'm sorry to say. <laughs> But, oh, my God, the amount of Stephen King movies that are my favorite movies, like Misery, The Shining, Shawshank Redemption, Creepshow, Stand By Me is one of my favorite movies of all time. So Cujo, Salem's Lot, you go down the line, and to have that guy just acknowledge you, forget about right. anything, even if he's something negative, uh, I'd still be over the moon, just the fact that that's, I'm on his Yeah, that's thought. unbelievable. Uh, that is so, unbelievable, man. Of course, you know, when that happened, it just became, you know, taking a screenshot of that and showing everybody <laughs> Right. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you gotta print it and frame it now. I'm going yeah. to. Good. I am yeah. going. To. Yeah. The um, but I mean, yeah, we just watched what the mist yesterday, which is another mm-hmm. great movie. The mist, one yeah. of the one of the right greatest horror endings of all time. Right, right. right. Total like a total curveball yeah. that totally crushes yeah. you. Yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. You're like, holy shit! Like he did all this for what? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. If he just waited, if he just waited a few more right. minutes, yeah. exactly. Brilliant. Yeah. Has the release like has the release been widened on the early success of the film? Like can it be seen on more screens now? Like where can people go see the new movie? Yeah, so right now I think this weekend, this Halloween weekend is the is sort of the last hurrah, I believe. Right. Um for you to really go and see this with an audience cuz after after this on Halloween it winds up going streaming to uh, exclusively to Screenbox. Okay. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it has been, it was only intended to play for one weekend, I believe originally. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we had no expectations, uh, for a theatrical release. This right. was sort of, this was, this was just going to be a bonus for us just to show it in a couple of theaters right. and going to play in about 500. And then before we knew it, it was 700, then 800 Holy for crap. that first weekend. And we were like, oh, my God, really? And it's playing in AMCs and Regals, real movie theaters? And then the movie theater, literally a, a, a stone's throw away from my apartment, is uh, an AMC dining theater. And they have the poster in their lobby one day. And I'm like, whoa, like this is real? This movie is going to be playing here? And and so that weekend, it sort of blew up because I think on the Monday or the Sunday, that's when people really started talking about people getting nauseous and lightheaded, fainting. And then then it was like, a scramble because the distributor wasn't ready for that. And it was like, okay, how do we get this back into theaters the next weekend and trying to figure it out? And then it dropped significantly because I think it was temporarily pulled that week until we got it back in the theaters uh, the following weekend. And I think it played in way less theaters, but it made way more money. So it had a huge dip. And then when it went back in that weekend, it had a, a a massive spike. And then it just kept growing. I, the theaters were going down and, the, and the, the viewership was going up, which is unheard of. And uh, But now, because of Halloween weekend and the success, it's playing in the most theaters it's ever played in right wow. now. So it's going to be in, I think, a little over 1,500 theaters this weekend. It's in Aventura. It's at Sunset Place. Wow. Those are like big movie theaters. Those are huge movie here. theaters, like huge. Yeah, see? It's so it's, it's the AMC for us right. down here is the AMC Yeah, the one in Aventura is massive. Yeah. There's like 25 theaters in that thing. Yeah, it's, it's huge. Insane. Yeah, that's crazy, man. That is unbelievable. 
So we actually asked the Levy brothers this a year ago. Excluding your own work, can you give us your top five greatest horror movies of all time so our listeners can kind of binge out and watch them this weekend? Oh, sure. Um, wow, this is this is. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to throw something else in there. Why, okay. why are they your top five? Sure. Um, clearly, uh, the original Halloween. Okay. It's one of my all-time favorites. I, I, I feel like that movie uh, created the actual atmosphere of Halloween that we all know and love, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. You can't have one without the other. They're, they're so simpatico, so synonymous. Um, and I think that that atmosphere – that movie created what John Carpenter created is sort of unmatched to this day. There's something so unique and charming about the atmosphere in Halloween and creepy as hell. It's uh, and there's no gore. So it's not like uh, I, you need a horror movie to have gore. Of course um, it's, it's so it's such a classic. Um, the original Dawn of the dead. Yes. Is up there for yes. me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really high up on, on my list. And uh, when I was, when I was making terrifier two, I said, this has to be our Dawn of the Dead. It has to be our Evil Dead 2. It has to be that sequel that comes in and surpasses the original where everything is cranked up to an 11 now. And I always say that. And, and they've been saying Terrifier 2 is just the embodiment of excess. And to me, that's what <laughs> right. Dawn of the Dead is in the best sense of the, uh, the right. word. And, uh, because it's the most generous horror movie ever made, especially in terms of gore. There are just gag after gag in that movie of head hits and people getting eaten. And it's just such a relentless movie, but it also has so much substance. It's such a rare movie that I really tried to model Terrifier 2 after that a little nice. bit. Nice. Um, I would say The Shining. Oh, I would okay. There. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All right. How can you? How, how can, can you, you not? The genius of Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King and Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall. Those are all some of the greatest performances ever. That movie is hypnotic. Like that movie puts me in a trance. I could watch it. It's just the way it moves. It's so dreamlike and so. Oh my God! It's it's. Every time you watch that, you discover something amazing and new about it. There, there's so many layers. Um, Rosemary's Baby is on my list. Uh, I think that movie is absolutely perfect. Absolutely perfect in every way. I love the the atmosphere of that movie so much. I love the look of that movie. If I could have my movies, if, if Terrifier could have looked like it, they were shot on that film, that film grain, just that look is my favorite look. Uh, it's you, just it's Do you just think incredible. it adds more to the, the overall it, creepiness? And... It does. There's a, there is. There's a grittiness. There's a, there's a realism where you believe what you're seeing, whereas right. now everything looks so glossy and so right. Hollywood. Right. And there's there's a separation where I can't get in. It's like it, it just can't grab me. Uh, so that's that's up there. there, there listen, there are so many. Listen, the, okay, so The Lost Boys is one Love of my it. favorite movies. Love it. Yes. Love it. Uh, yeah. I, I saw that in the movie theaters when I was four years old. And I remember <laughs> it like it was yesterday. And uh, And that movie has been one of my all-time favorites from that moment on i watch it multiple times a year so that, that is a great film i love that film it's a great movie and it's it's one of those rare it's a rare 80s movie that just you know you see so many 80s movies and sort of the the fashion over time everything starts getting really cheesy and really yes. corny and hold up like those fucking, there's some cheesy stuff in it, but those vampires, they look fucking awesome. Like even yeah. like right now, right. They're, they're so sexy, they're so appealing, allure, like to, they're so pleasing to the eye. And when they, you finally do see them as vampires, they look fucking amazing. Yeah. And that was really that is a revolutionary makeup. Like now, so many horror movies, that's become the standard look of the vampire, like Buffy the Vampire Slayer right. and all these. Like you don't realize how revolutionary. Like that was a pioneering movie when it when it came out, and it's the first time you saw vampires fly, not turn into a bat, but they actually fly. Right. I mean, insane stuff. And the soundtrack is unbelievable. Everything. That's such a yes. sexy movie. It's so yes. fucking good. Actually, I think uh, I downloaded a few of those and still have them on my uh, on my playlist uh, on my iTouch. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, have you guys started to chalk? Anything up for the next one? Or are you still kind of obviously you, you got some time, kind of soak all this in? But I, I'm sure it's in the works. 
Oh yeah, no, no, no. I I never don't think about the next Terrifier. Uh, it says constantly. Uh, I can't get away from it. So I already have uh, an entire treatment of what that movie is. I would just have Whoa. to jump in and write the script, turn it into a script at this point. But and and the most amazing thing is that I know how this ends. And that's probably the most daunting and overwhelming thing because right. how do you, how do you end a franchise? How do you do right. it in a satisfying way that would sort of you know, live up to people's expectations? Uh, so I feel really secure. I've had the idea of where I wanted to end it for I think before we even started shooting Terrifier Two. So that's that's a huge advantage for me going in. Um, but the other thing I'm trying to avoid is I'm trying to avoid making Terrifier Three as long as Terrifier Two was. Because that's a very polarizing um, topic of discussion. Uh, uh, a lot of people just do not like that the movie's two hours and eighteen minutes long because it's not typical. Uh, right. But again, I you know, it's it's really not that long. I think people are over exaggerating. But <laughs> no, that, <laughs> but, I mean, uh, two hours I mean, is fine. I think I think yeah. for me, even two and a half is not bad. I think once you stretch to like three, then I think it becomes a little daunting. Sure, yeah. right? Yeah, you better be telling a really captivating story at three hours. But, exactly. but there's so many. There's so many three-hour movies that I that fly by for me that I right. watch all the time. Right, all the time. I agree. Uh, yeah. So, so we'll see. So, having said that, Terrifier Three is getting pretty big, and I have so many ideas and scenarios that I want to put art in. So, there is a possibility this could split into two more movies. Ooh. After that, uh, I like I said before, I run the risk of being creatively bankrupt with this character. Right. How many ways can you kill somebody interesting, and how many jokes can you do before you're jumping the shark and there's nothing left to say and it's just well it's it's kind of like me watching the 19th or so interpretation of michael myers in halloween it's like kind of like you're like okay like i I don't know i just still think that that mask even when i see no it's creepy as crap we have a we have a bartender here that every year he dresses up he wears the like the onesie uh dickies like the the mechanic right yeah with the mask and he drags around a body wrapped in a bed sheet throughout this neighborhood and it is the creepiest fucking thing i've ever seen and he does it every single year and he just stands in the corner and he stares at you it's so weird yeah it's so weird. Yeah. Well, it's listen. That's that's iconic. He's one of my favorite characters yeah. of all time, and they will continue making Halloween movies well after we're dead. It's just oh. it's going to happen. He's iconic as Superman and Batman yes. back yeah. then. So I agree. Just going keep going on. But so, but for me, before I get to that point where God willing, a studio comes in and says, "You know what? I want to buy Terrifier off of you for twenty million dollars or something like that," and I'm like. Here, take it. Like, I'm done. I, I right. did my Damien Leone Terrifier franchise. I have nothing left to say. Fans just want to keep seeing this character go off and, and make it and, and have fun, you know, for eons after I'm gone. Nice. Uh, but, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be involved in that. I've set up characters that I love and, uh, you know, protagonists that I care about now where I want to see a solid arc and I want to have right. a nice – you know, solid story where you walk away saying that is what it is. I feel secure. I don't have to worry about but these characters coming back in five years and then just devastating the le- legacy that you built and ruining things that people loved. I mean, that that's that's the worst thing you can do to a franchise. So, finally, I do have one last question for you. So, you are an example of another great success. Working for about fifteen years in the business would not much recognition and i'm assuming limited financial reward then something clicks and you are like everyone's favorite horror director what advice would you have for someone who is toiling away today in some creative endeavor like movies music art questioning whether they should stick it out or not um great question uh the the minute you have to question should i be doing this is it for me uh, you're you're on the wrong path. You're right right <laughs> off the bat. You probably I don't want to say you shouldn't be doing it, right. but uh, you don't have a choice. Like I never really had a choice. There was nothing else in this world I would be doing with my life other than making movies. Again, Terrifier was in no way an overnight success. I've been doing this since. I mean, it said that the Ninth Circle came out in 2008, but I was really made in I think 2006. So it's going back even even further but you just have to be 
persistent. It has to be what you what you love doing, no matter what. You have to basically be willing to be homeless, die, or end up on the street. You know, uh, doing what you love. I was delivering flowers up until two months or so before I started writing the script for Terrifier Two. So all through Terrifier One, I was still working all these odd jobs, and I was doing freelance makeup gigs. Just doing whatever I had to do to, you know, keep the keep the bills paid and keep right. the lights on, but while also doing what I loved. And but that also mean comes with sacrifices. And listen, there were there were so many discouraging times where friends and family would be like, "Dude, what are you doing? You got to get a real job. You got to get a <laughs> right. you know, yeah." I've heard to, that. Yep. You need to take these city tests. You need to do this. And I'm just like, no, the minute I do that, it's over. That's yep. going to take up all my time. I'm going to become complacent. It's going to be a disaster. And I can't I can't do that. So you just have to believe in what you're doing and constantly hone your skills. And all I could say is the things that worked for me. So being being a filmmaker and a practical makeup effects artist, the practical effects really helped me and and the mindset when i would make any short film like when i was making the ninth circle i said what am i going to put into this thing that's going to get people talking why are they going to remember this when i made terrifier the feature i said this is a thirty-five thousand dollar horror movie why is somebody going to watch this when they can go watch the next 50 million dollar hollywood horror movie what's going to get them talking and even if that means being really shocking and 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 just you know being exploitative and just right. like really embracing that exploitation. That's what I did. I said, I'm going to show a kill scene that you've never seen before. And I'm going to show it every step of the way. And people are going to talk about it. And, and that's that's what winds up happening. So that doesn't mean that you have to just go and brutally murder people for people to get talk, to start talking. <laughs> right. about but, but as a horror fan, that's what I needed to do. And uh, you have to be fearless. And sometimes it pays off. But you have to get people talking about your work. You have to do something new and interesting. Uh, but just be persistent, and if you really believe it's for you, just follow follow your dream and keep honing your skills, and it'll it'll pay off. Well, I really appreciate your time, Damien. This has been uh, an awesome conversation. This is awesome. And, uh, I need to rewatch some of those top five movies. I know. I know. We're definitely going to watch no, we're, this we're, fucking gore fest. <laughs> <laughs> I can't just wait. Honestly, it. I can't wait. She'll have her uh, hands over her eyes. Just remember, <laughs> like they said, they like they said in the original Last House on the Left, the marketing. It's only a movie. Okay. I try and avoid real life horror at any at any cost um i like fake stuff as much as That's the fun. next gorehound uh <laughs> you know there's an artistry that goes into it it's a it's an easy way to sort of um you know dance around death and our mortality and try and you know like sort of like a coping mechanism i mean that's the way i look at uh fictional gore in horror movies yeah. things like that real stuff get that get that out of here <laughs> well thank you again man Thanks. we really appreciate your time and uh congrats uh, on all the success man Thank you so much, and have a happy Halloween, guys. You too, man. Later. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Lindsay Langton, Damian Leone, our co-host, Maria Cabre, our producer, Rocco Riggio, and our editor, Brian O'Connell. Thanks for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the Sirius XM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people. The thirst is real. Happy Halloween.